0: wmqa hello and welcome to wmqa i'm dan Grote,
1: and i'm matt lazowitz and this week our guest is the creator of comics such as hip-hop family tree x-men grand design and the new horror series red room from fantagraphics ed pisker
0: welcome to the show ed thanks very much for having me join you guys so uh, with first time guests, we tend to start off asking about the, the first comics I remember reading, but uh, given the nature of the book that we're going to be talking about tonight, uh, what was the first comic you remember reading that either like scared or shocked or grossed you out, had that kind of impact?
2: Oh man, I it's so funny, man. Like I have a definite answer for this mm-hmm. and it was an issue of uh, Haunt of Fear, EC Comics uh, in the early 90s. Thanks to the popularity of the Tales from the Crypt television show, mm-hmm. uh, somehow, you know, Russ Cockrum, Gladstone Publishing, whoever was putting it out at the time, they got newsstand distribution for these 64 page uh, EC horror comics, you know, so in the, in the you know, shop and save where my mom was picking up some lunch meat or something, uh, I think it was Haunted Fair 16 or 18, Green, green Masthead, old witch on the cover with all of these gnarly looking Graham Ingalls characters, like a guy made out of a hand, you know, like his, the bottom half of his body is a hand and a big face with, with uh, people like weird gimpy creeps coming out of the eyeballs and stuff. So uh, that issue um, was the first kind of non DC or Marvel comic that I've ever, that I ever read up to that point. So I was indoctrinated on the bait and switch of coming back every month like knowing that there would be a cliffhanger at the end mm-hmm. and that it would resolve itself next month and then there will be another cliffhanger so every comic i read up to that point worked that way mm-hmm. and the ec comics they end with those oh henry snap endings that if you are a little kid indoctrinated on the kind of comics i was describing you could assume that that's a cliffhanger which i totally did and uh the ones story that uh i still think about man was uh a story of uh, it was domestic violence you know six pages worth of that where mm. it's a husband just demonizing his wife and uh slapping her around like like all the you know frederick wortham was right type shit you know okay. yeah. <laughs> and uh i i think the the straw that broke the guy's back was there was some kind of uh lipstick or something on two glasses or some some weird thing and the wife just was done with it and the way that story ended was uh she had him on like a stretch rack like he went to take a nap after beating her up or something and then when he woke up he's getting stretched out and her eyes are like uh her pupils are pinholed and she's totally got this maniacal look on her face so then when i picked up the next issue that story wasn't even talked about right and then that was the realization, like, holy shit, that lady, she didn't get therapy. Like, the cops didn't save the day. Like, that was the end of that story. And I mean, to this day, I still think about that, you know. Like, it really really hit me hard. So, we didn't prepare ahead of time uh, when, you know, we set up this podcast, man. But I had a definite answer for that question.
0: <laughs> um, so, you know, you're, you're here promoting Red Room, uh, your new monthly uh, sort of uh, duotone grindhouse series from uh, Fantagraphics. Uh, this is this is the part where I'll, I'll let my uh, co-host do the honors of, of reading the solicit text for the listener.
1: Aided by the anonymous dark web and nearly untraceable cryptocurrency, there has emerged a subculture of criminals who live stream and patronize webcam murders for entertainment. Who are the murderers? Who are the victims? How do we stop it? So... Yeah, oh, there's, go something, ahead.
2: there's something meta-textual about being on Zoom with you guys while reading that hyperbole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> look over your shoulder, Dan.
0: <laughs> oh no, it's a Jen Bartel jubilee. Um, anyway, <laughs> but uh, what what is uh, what, what's the origin of this uh, of this project? Uh,
2: I was. Whenever I'm putting my comics together, I I need some sort of companionship. You spend a lot of time all by yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, College lectures, uh, audiobooks really kind of add a voice in the room while I'm just sitting here. Certainly in COVID circumstances uh, Mm -hmm. with, you know, nobody on lockdown, nobody around. uh, Audiobooks kind of save the day, man. They've saved the day for 20 plus years. And I was uh, going through the entire bibliography of Stephen King audiobooks, which I actually recommend. Sissy mm-hmm. Spacek reading Carrie, like uh, it's pretty incredible. Anyhow, I got up to Dance Macabre. And that is the book. It's not a novel or anything. It's basically uh, one giant thesis statement from Stephen King about his thoughts on horror, his influences uh, in multimedia, radio shows, books, comics, poetry. Uh, tv like all sorts of stuff and as he's going through all the popular horror of the day that inspired him like one of the pieces of connective tissue or through lines uh that made everything kind of make sense was that all of the hit properties that that he was talking about all of the important horror books or tv shows movies they really were a part of the zeitgeist and Like I was just trying to think, like what would a good like what do we have going on now uh, that could be used and exploited for horror, horrific purposes that really didn't even exist, say ten years ago even. And we have the emergence of the dark the dark net. Uh, Every now and then, you, you read an article about some some weird stuff that's happening on there with people trading you know Bitcoin for you know human beings or. Uzis that are hidden inside of PlayStation Five uh, cartons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's, there's there is a wild west going on right now, and the idea of like you know live streaming murder that's kind of been an urban legend for a while. The idea of snuff has been an urban mm-hmm. legend for a while. In fact, in *Dance Macabre*, like Stephen King talked about, you know, seeing videotapes from South America with snuff and crap like that. So uh, it just seemed like a perfect vector to do some cool horror stuff that could be incredibly visual and fit an aesthetic of comics that I really like that really hasn't been explored in over 20 years, which is like what we call outlaw comics, uh, which would be stuff like the James O'Bars, Tim Vigils, Vince Locke when he was really cooking, Guy Davis when he was still like forming his art. I love that stuff, you know, Mm. like caliber comics circa 1988 to like 1991 or so. Uh, be still, my heart.
1: I'm gonna take us off on a tangent because you just started talking about Stephen King, and I always need to sort of jump in because that's a favorite topic of mine. Have you finished uh, the the King canon on audiobook?
2: Uh, no, no, I've not. I've not. Yeah, I've I've gotten to like the mid '80s, but you know, you know what happened? Dance Macabre set me off on another journey. So. Now I had to like after Dance Macabre, then it then it gets into like okay I have to read all of Shirley Jackson's bibliography, I have to read all of Ira Levin's bibliography, and then I started to discover the splatterpunk movement of of the nineteen eighties in paperback fiction. So you you know the king the king of the castle, there would be Clive Barker, and then there were dudes like uh, Jack Ketchum, Rex Miller, Joe uh, Joe jo- jo Lansdale. Um so dance macabre like it did a disservice for Stephen King in a way because all of these things he was talking about really excited me so I went off into this other direction.
1: When you swing back uh, one that because I've listened to a lot of them over the years um, because you you mentioned Spacek reading uh, Carrie Uh, Dolores Claiborne is read by Kathy Bates and the entire novel is first person from the title character's point of view, so to have that read to you and read by Kathy Bates, who read the book before she starred in the film of the same name, is really cool.
2: That's that's super dope. Uh, I I did skip ahead a little bit here and there, so I listened to uh, to it, and it's it's read by uh, the the one handsome guy from Wings. I forget I forget the actor's name. Stephen Weber, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And uh, <laughs> you know, like. My studio is on the bottom floor of a kind of like a a, a two-tier apartment, like house, right? So, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a girl who lives upstairs. And when she comes home from work, it, it would always happen when I'm listening to the book where it's, you know, Stephen Weber and the voice of Pennywise the Clown shouting <laughs> four letter C words and stuff like that. And I'm just like, what does this poor girl think is going on in this space right here, you know? Anyhow, <laughs> um,
0: so you've got you've got this this monthly comic series, uh, you know, thirteen issues, including a free comic book day. Uh, you know, how does uh, you know how do, how does it end up making its home at uh, at Fantagraphics?
2: I've done I've done a great business with with Fantagraphics for for a, almost a decade at this point. Uh, so so that's a factor, right? Like I can if I have a question I could just call the publisher and and Gary or Eric will address my, my call very quickly. You know, like I feel, I feel good about that sort of stuff. Um, Gary and Eric, uh, they actually care about the first amendment and they don't get shaken by complainers online. You know, like if a comic is good by, by their perception they're going to publish it so i need a i need a public this is a weird comic this is gross comic it's going to get roasted by uh, a segment of the populace you know and i need uh, publishers who have my back so it was kind of a no-brainer
0: um what what was your uh was there a research period for this book, you know, in terms of kind of looking for like dark web rumors or, or, or things that could be, you know, grist for the mill. Uh,
2: sure. Like I, I just have a curious mind in general. So I just read a ton of stuff Um I have certain dark curiosities and things, and with this idea in mind, you know it is an urban legend. So it, the the idea of red rooms has been in the ether for a while, mm-hmm. but but then certain things happen. Like you know the same week that that Breaking Bad airs its last episode, uh, Dread Pirate Roberts, the the creator of the Silk Road, uh, gets a, gets arrested, and the Silk Road was this kind of dark dark net Amazon.com where one can buy, you know, fentanyl or, you know, uh, newborn babies for two Bitcoin or something like that, you know, like all bets were off. And uh, there was a book called American Kingpin kind of about, about uh, Ross Ulbricht and his whole kind of trajectory. And it really fascinated me because uh, this, this this kid kind of single-handedly created this whole marketplace. It's been, it's been kind of, uh, theorized that the amount of tech that went into creating that site would have been, you know, multi-millions of dollars worth of coding that he kind of dreamed up on on his own. And it wasn't even his passion, really. Like his passion had to do with more like kind of like libertarian ideals. And you know, what you put in your body is up to you kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, But then he put that marketplace together. And had to face certain questions like man I'm seeing people post arsenic as like a purchasable item and yeah arsenic I guess can clean jewelry or something like that but it probably has some other use certainly if you're able to get it in a completely anonymous fashion so the fact that these kind of markets even existed kind of added to my thoughts about this, this kind of horror comic, I mean, it's just, it sounds like a total scary Wild West kind of thing. And as a, as a kid growing up watching stuff like Looney Tunes or whatever, I always mm-hmm. like Doug Wiley Coyote more than the Roadrunner. So I'm far more interested in exploring like the bad guys on this thing. So there's no procedural NCIS kind of bullshit in my comic. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, all of my guys will probably get away with this stuff. And I had this idea in mind that, Yes, my Red Room killers can die, but it's going to have to happen in like a intercompany crossover. Like maybe Spawn can kill one of my guys, maybe Batman or something like that. But that's probably uh-huh. it. The Fed, the Feds ain't going to do it.
0: Uh, I know McFarland's looking to expand the Spawn verse, so maybe there's opportunity there. Todd, uh, let's talk, man. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, as, as we're talking, there, 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 there's, there, you know, there, there look, I read the, I read the issue. There's some pretty sick shit in this book. Uh, You know, we're, we're not, uh, we're not going to spoil any of it. Books, books not out until uh, May 19th, but uh, you know, in, in terms of, of crafting uh, moments in the book, you know, were, were you kind of strictly playing improv with yourself to, to twist the knife, so to speak, or, or, you know, did you have someone that you, you know, you could use as a sounding board to bounce ideas off of?
2: Uh, no, I just kind of, you know, I do my stuff on my own or whatever, mm-hmm. but the way this comic is working is, uh, and I, I live stream a lot of my ink sessions whenever I'm putting these, these pages together mm-hmm. and it's kind of documented, like I'm drawing the stuff and audibly I'm like, Oh, this is fucking sick, man. I forgot <laughs> if I was uh, not supposed to say the F word or not. that where uh, good. Swear away. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, when I dream up certain things, it only gets committed to paper when I get creeped out, when I gross myself out. So there's that part. And then you have to visualize it. So the reference involved in such a thing, I'm learning a lot about anatomy, dude. hmm sure. <laughs> I really
0: am. Uh, and what happens when anatomy gets cut off? Um. <laughs>
2: Well, like specifically, there's that one image in, uh, in the second issue when Pokerface, who seems to be one of my standout killer guys, kind of brings this, this, uh, this big machete blade thing, like just runs it down a dude's chest, and the chest just fully opens up. And, uh, you know, I never drew a colon before. I, I, kn- <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know what a pancreas looked like until, uh, until that moment.
0: First time forever.
1: brave new world that has such organs (laughs)
0: in. um there's there's multiple pages where you kind of see like the the interface of of the red room or you know you're watching the 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 streams and you know you're you're dealing in cryptocurrency which obviously is a modern thing you're you're cartooning in a in a, a style that you know, harkens back to the, you know, sort of comics with the next movement of the seventies. And then you've got these computer windows that remind me of when I used to put my college newspaper together on a Mac in like the late eighties or excuse me, late nineties, not dating myself that much, uh, late nineties and early (laughs) two thousands. You know, what was kind of the, the, the thinking and blending these, these different aesthetics. Uh,
2: Like I think one of the, um, one of the ways to get the kind of dark net to, to, to work uh, in real life is it has to be so stripped down. Can't have any fuss or muss because, you know, the feds might know how to use a PNG file to jump into your computer or something. So it needs to be a little antique when it comes to the uh, visual aesthetic of like the dark net visuals. Uh, so why not use, you know, Mac paint kind of font from... 1985 or something, just for the fun of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the art aesthetic, the like the choice for that, is definitely steeped more in just the vernacular of those comics I described earlier that used a lot of tactile materials, duo duotone, ink spatter. You know, I had to buy frisket for the first time to to kind of mask off areas so that I could just splatter. Ink all over my pages and make sure it gets where I want it to and, and nowhere else.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, but that's you know that's the that's where the visuals come from. Um, there's not like because of the the computer and a lot of people using the computer to produce artwork. Uh, the modern aesthetic of of uh, most uh, digital art is very precise, very clean. And that's di- that's divorced from the energy I'm trying to convey with mm-hmm. with this comic. So it would have been a grave mistake to use a more modern kind of aesthetic for this comic. Um, there, there's a lot of, it just seems like, it might, I guess all of us going through the crazy year that we went through in, in 2020, it seems like there's a lot of like, horror-ish comics that are coming out. And a lot of them use a kind of more modern um vernacular visually mm-hmm. and uh, I, f- I feel like I'm more on the right track like it has to be gritty and it has to be raw and, and just naturally that's how my style is anyhow
0: mm-hmm.
2: kind of wobbly wonky
0: Um, what is uh, I know a lot of you know again you're you're, you're inking these on streams uh, this was born from from you know pages are showing up on Patreon, uh, you know, kind of in, in their their infancy. What's kind of the, the the lag time or or process time between you know when Red Room pages appear on your Patreon and, and and when they're see you know when they're seeing wide release?
2: It's going to start to speed up a lot, just the way that I've been uh, kind of projecting uh, ahead. Um, so at a certain point, the pages are going to be maybe. Uh, an issue will come out on Patreon, like maybe a month before it hits the street. Um, but I was kind of doling them out, you know, two pages a week for a while. But now that we have firm dates, now I have to kind of go back reverse engineer. So it's, they're going to start to appear more frequently uh, on the, on the Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, they were produced like the first issue of Red Room, you know, it's going to hit the stands, like you said, May 19th, I think. hmm And I finished drawing that stuff like last February, you know. Maybe, maybe in January. Comics kind of works that way Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. But uh, I had the idea of doing a monthly comic uh, and sort of knowing the work involved. I just knew I it would be a good idea to produce a bunch before even thinking about letting them see the light of day. And thank Thankfully, uh, I wasn't really harmed professionally or anything with with 2020 because I mm-hmm. was setting that up to be a production year, uh, setting that up to be a space where I basically uh, just sit around and draw comics uh, all day. And you know what? There was a very convenient excuse to do so. And I produced a lot of pages, man.
1: <laughs> do you have... You seem to have the, the thrust of the series laid out but have you kind of built in wiggle room for yourself if something occurs to you or another bit of inspiration strikes or is it a tighter uh outline than that
2: uh there there is no tight outline uh the way that i sort of sold it and uh i sort of want to make clear is that uh across all of these issues there's not Specifically like one giant story that's playing out. There's one universe. Think of Red Room as you know, like a Marvel universe where there's, you know, all of these disparate characters like living their lives or whatever. But every single story, it's very important for me to uh to kind of address my pet peeves with the in with what's happening in comics. You know, this is the market that I that I inherited from from old heads that have been doing shit for a long time, right? And I don't think that they've uh, found the, the right formula. Uh, so I'm addressing all of that with this comic. So it'll be monthly. Uh, every story will be uh, self-contained. Uh, so t- to answer your question, there's almost nothing but wiggle room because uh, I, as I'm producing an issue, I'm writing down notes and ideas for the next one and when I ultimately commit to what the next issue will be, it's gonna be the best of all the notes and things that I've been preparing. So in a, in a, in a way, I don't even know what the next issue will be until, until the time comes, but I'm setting myself up with this world full of rules and I'm following those rules slavishly so that it feels of, of a piece. Um, all of that said, there are reoccurring characters So uh, do you guys remember uh, Stray Bullets? Sure. Dave Dave Lapham? Mm -hmm. So think about like the first year or actually I should say first maybe two years because that was a bi-monthly series. So say like the first uh, 12 issues of that where the first issue is about, you know, Joey and uh, that, that one guy, they're going to dump a dead body and Joey's 20 years old. Fast forward two issues and then we're following another story with another character and then you see little Joey who's like five years old. Uh, my comic is a version of that, though the time period is all pretty pretty close. Uh, so there will be intersecting characters. You read every issue, you'll get a better picture of the entire world. But if you just find an issue in a back issue bin, you come across the thing, uh, you, you want to give it a try, but you don't want to jump in on part three of a story, no worries. Just pick up, the, pick up any issue you find, uh, see if it's your speed. Uh, if it is cool, check out another one. If not, uh, you know, h- hand that one off to, to your nearest neighbor who has a pinhead t-shirt or something. <laughs>
1: <laughs> pinhead or Leatherface. Because uh, <laughs> it. as I'm reading it, I'm I, I'm the horror guy around here. And so I kind of was looking at it and trying to pick up some of what might be your horror touchstones because I felt there was a little bit of... Texas Chainsaw in there. A l- saw didn't strike me as inspiration, but sort of that's one of the zeitgeisty things. So I'm kind of curious, what, what other than the EC Comics and some of the Caliber stuff, what are some of your personal horror touchstones? Um, well,
2: I'm a Pittsburgh boy, so you have to say the George Romero stuff. Sure. Tom Savini, right? The King of Gore. Like the dude has a school around here where he taught you know a generation of future special effects artists that stuff's very important to me uh tro- trauma is very important to me uh you know a lot of that stuff is goofball stuff but i love the diy a- aspect of it mm-hmm. i love the self-awareness of it uh the <laughs> the, the, the comics landscape now like everybody's like like you know, chasing their Eisner Award or something like this—you got to make your poignant tale. And even Fantagraphics, you know what I'm saying? Like they make the best comic books uh, in 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 the world, man. Uh, let's let's take it back to to the kind of pulp nature of comic books. You know, like let's let's do some tongue-in-cheek crazy stuff. Uh, F- Fantagraphics used to have a, a line of books called Monster Books, and uh, there was like comics like with the title Razor Guts and things like that. Like, you know, this is stuff that, that, that Uncle Gary would be very happy for people to not know about. Like, I'm gonna have to go reinvestigate my oral history of Fantagraphics book and see if he mentions razor guts even one time. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, man? So, so let's, uh, let's, keep, let's keep Fantagraphics honest. Let's have them produce a ridiculous, crazy comic that, uh, you know, Gary, more than once in, in my life, uh in my working relationship with fantagraphics has said things to me like ed what the f am i publishing here (laughs) (laughs) and i just say listen bet trust me uh i'm not gonna lose you a dollar so i've I've made good on
0: that so far um you know horror aside uh you know i you you feel like, and, 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 you know, I think we're, we're, we're pretty fairly close in age, you know, a, a fellow son of the video rental shop era. Uh, you know, if we were to uh, somehow hack your rental history mm-hmm. apart from horror, you know, what are some of the other things we would uh, find there?
2: All right, man, that's a good question. Let me try to think of some stuff that I, that I rented a million times. <laughs> <laughs> See, cause we're, we're now, we're now going to now go into it down a rabbit hole, dude. So <laughs> So I live in the rabbit hole. <laughs> so I remember uh, renting Carnosaur two or three many times, not for the Carnosaur, but for the previews of the Richard, uh, of, excuse me, the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. <laughs> wow! So just you know, just for that, um, let me think of some other crazy. I, I mean, I discovered John Waters mm-hmm. uh, in in um, on VHS, but I I also when my first job was working in a um, video store. So I had like that privileged access to so much fly shit, man. The Garbage Pail Kids movie, <laughs> um, El Topo,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like all kinds of crazy stuff. The early Peter Jackson stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. No, but the see, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Bad taste. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of like, what's a good, like qu- quintessential, weird rental that, that we would mess with. You know, there would be all the trauma stuff sure but then you know darren Aronofsky, pie like that was one of the last that was like the last generation stuff me- memento uh-huh. like that that was like vhs is almost done guys
0: mm-hmm. you know not not to mention the a lot of the movies that you're 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 referencing i mean this is all the stuff that you couldn't find once blockbuster took over like every mom and pop video store uh in town totally like the the um the video store
2: that i worked at uh the way they it was a mom and pop shop Mm -hmm. and the way that they kept their heads above water was uh, a vast library of pornography yep and uh, in the porno room was uh, slot machines and and poker tables (laughs) so like it was just a straight up uh, speakeasy man the mayor would come in and get like pornos with all like dudes with freaking big Johnsons, man. He would get like John Holmes pornos and and like Ron Jeremy pornos. And I'm like, this is the mayor. And I know what kind of porno he digs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man. <laughs> uh. Yeah. yeah. Just We can keep on the, the VHS
2: track. We can keep on oh. the video store track if you want.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> Oh, I miss those days. I, I, the summer in between high school and college, I worked in a video store. Just that one summer, and oh, man, that was it was a week, the summer of uh, 1997. So again, it was right near the end of things.
0: Was that
1: yeah. was that when your dad was 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 managing a video store? Yeah, yeah, in the oh, summer of '98. Yeah, wow. my dad was okay. managing the store, and you know, he needed someone there who he knew wasn't. St- dealing or (laughs) not that he would ever have me drop a dime on anybody. He never, my father's not that kind of guy, but he needed someone who'd, you know,
2: get the work done.
1: Yeah, exactly. That was pretty much it. And, oh, just so much. It was this, it was one of those weird little mom and pop shops. It did not have a porno room because the, the store was the, the town it was in wouldn't have that, but it did have faces of death.
0: So, yeah, you know, very important. okay,
2: very important. Stop you know, the, cl- the classics. <laughs> that, I mean, that's that's very American, too. You know, like oh, uh, you could totally. have arba Dwyer videotapes in your thing, but you can't show boobs or you know, penetration.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I watched a lot of Mystery Science Theater that summer because we had they had a vast collection of Mystery Science Theater there.
2: when I uh I worked there in my high school years basically just stocking money away um, because I was going to go to the Qbert school, I had to support myself, mm-hmm. had to buy some food and stuff. Right. So, so for a couple of years, I was just stacking my loot working at the, at the video store. Then it came time to actually get to go to school. So I actually handed my job off to, uh, to, to my cousin, who was a good, you know, friend at the time, somebody I hung out with all the time. The very first week of art school, uh he He got robbed and and smacked with a gun in, in and th- like that's never happened to me and it's like I gave him my job and like and five days later he got pistol whipped and robbed Yikes.
0: oh man well um yeah so did, let, I sen- let-
2: did I send this off the track
0: no no there is no off there is no off the rails um just hard to follow a pistol whip um, and <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, I, I, I am curious because, uh, you know, you've, you mentioned Caliber Press uh, as, as an influence and, and I'm always kind of curious about those, those older, you know, small press labels. Um, you know, what, what are some of the comics from that line that, that stood out to you? So the
2: Holy Grail is Caliber Presents, number one, uh, because it has the work of uh, a lot of the, the outlaw forefathers, man, uh, Tim Vigil draws Kuda inked by Tim Tyler who's like a little less known but has a huge bibliography and is of that aesthetic and, and whose work I like a whole lot he does a lot of Kickstarter comics right now then uh there's a story in there that Vince Locke inks Vince Locke of Dead World fame mm-hmm. that he inks but if Vince Locke inks something it's like if Sinkevich inks something like you, you see his hand all over it uh and that's a it's a really dark story about this guy going to a. Uh, He's, he's, he's going to visit a prostitute and he's like a simp kind of character. Like, oh baby, you, this, you're too good for this, blah, blah, blah. You, you need to get out of here. And it's like five pages of him trying to like talk her out of prostitution. And then you could tell at the very, very end, she's like actually thinking about it. Like he's, like he's uh, breaking down her armor a touch, but she still holds steady. And when the guy leaves... Uh, the snap ending is the guy goes to speak with her pimp and is like, oh, no, nah, she's still good. She's still a thoroughbred, man. Don't don't worry about it. She's, she ain't going to buck. Uh, so it's like you need to take a shower after that one. First appearance of Crow is in that issue. So that's James O'Barr. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then uh, there's two James O'Barr stories, man, because there's this one called uh, called um, I.O., where uh, it's like this like futuristic, like Red Dawn with cyborgs kind of war comic. And it's signed... <laughs> barbed wire halo studios which was james obar guy davis and vince locke all working together on the art aesthetic mm. uh they never did that much work They only did two io stories as far as i know but that's like that's a clutch comic so then you have faust north star press or north star comics the early ones not the ones not the north star that had like brian azarello mm. as editor-in-chief because that was more when comics were more popular and stuff and they were streamlined and things. But like the early North Star days, um, like Silver Wolf comics, Chris Silver publisher, uh, who put together Grips. And my personal favorite was one called Fat Ninja, which uh, like Grips was uh, Tim Vigil's first character. He only had one claw. Lower Faust had two Wolverine claws. And (laughs) in in his uh, civilian life, uh, Grips was a cartoonist and, and his comic was Fat Ninja. So it, it was such a popular comic that, uh, it, that Grips got spun off into the Fat Ninja comic, which is very good. Um, Baker Street, so that's Guy Davis, Dead World, Vince Locke. Uh, I, could, I, could, I could keep going on, man. Um, Dragon Chang, Tim Truman. Uh, the comics that Eric Talbot did, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics that Eric Talbot uh, drew uh, the Michael Zulli trilogy of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. Actually, a lot of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind of fits that vibe that, that I like a lot, where it's a little bit, you know, it's off model. It's got that duotone process. So it's like kind of mechanical, but not really. Um, there's, a, there's a ton. Air Cell comics, the original Walking Dead, Jim Somerville, or Warlock 5 dennis uh bouvet or beavis or something like that like i don't know how to say the dude's name french canadian cat Mm -hmm. but uh yeah there's a lot it it was this like super small window but some really cool looking comics came out of it and then the technology to produce such comics like the duo shade paper it's just gone you know zipatone is just pretty much done right now you could do a digital version of it but it's still kind of too clean Mm -hmm. you know it doesn't look raw enough
0: so uh in true uh, uh floppy fashion red room has variant covers uh you know you've got uh, jim Rugg, uh your your co-host on uh, cartoonist kayfabe but in terms of you know who is who's doing your your, your variants like peach for example are these you know, are these folks you're you're your handpicking or or people that fanta's bringing to your attention no uh, just homies J- just just homies uh doing covers and stuff like peach reached
2: out a while back uh, I spent some time in Japan. I, I drew some uh, album covers for for a uh, for a Japanese rapper. Uh, so sh- so she reached out just to say hi, what's up, and we've been chatting for a while. Uh, you know, she's a cottage industry unto herself. Oh yeah, with the variant game. Mm-hmm. So when uh, like f- f- Fantagraphics and myself, like, we have no idea how the direct market works anymore. And like I said earlier, it's like this is the this is the industry that we inherited from mm-hmm. from others so if this is how the game is played i'll play the fucking game man and uh it's because i know peach you know hit her up man hey peach will you hook hook me up with a uh, with a variant she was exclusive to marvel like right after that man so oh wow that was very uh fortuitous for me
0: absolutely also did i i think i saw a retailer value variant that was done by a high school senior or something like that
2: how cool is that right i love that shit I I put the call out even for fan art and I've been getting art from people who I can't even send a copy of the comic to like, they can't like legally purchase the comic or something, man. And it's so perfect because that was me. Mm -hmm. You know, I was reading Faust comics way before um, I probably, you know, should have been allowed to. And if my parents were those like kind of lames that got to cry about stuff and raise a fuss you know they could have got some of my favorite shops closed down, or have to call a CBLDF to bail them out, or fight the court case, or some some shit like that. But uh, yeah, you're right, man. Uh, this dude uh, Bryce is his name. His dad his dad runs the shop, and Bryce was down with uh, cartoonist Kayfabe already, and sort of put his dad onto Red Room, and they have just like run this very cool, you know, sort of online business and got a lot of interest in variants enough, enough that they were gonna buy a thousand copies anyhow. So like, if you buy a thousand copies, we gotta draw you a a cover. Like that's just, that's gotta be how it goes, man. That's too, that's too cool. And uh, the, his dad hit me up and was like, yeah, my son's like doing his best. Like he's he's trying to get into the game and everything. Went, checked out the dude's uh, Instagram. And I'm like, do you want your son to just draw the cover? like i he's got the perfect outlaw chops man uh and the the kid was like over the moon, super stoked, and is incredibly professional, one of the probably more professional than seventy percent of cartoonists out there uh within hours he sent us six roughs to choose from mm. uh, that were very detailed and very clear like the, there there was no there would be no mistaking uh the the image uh by. You know, an hour or two later, pen and ink drawing came f- through the inbox. And then by the time I woke up the next day, fully executed cover like that is going to serve that dude very, very well professionally if he chooses to pursue a career in comics.
0: That's pretty awesome.
1: So, you say cartoonist, and you are a, a one man shop when it comes to your your books. You, you write them, you draw them, you do the whole nine yards. Are there parts of the comic creation process that you find the most artistically fulfilling? Uh,
2: you know, not not really.
1: Uh, I part
2: of me wants to rush and say, yeah, like when you're doing the finished drawings, that's uh, that's everything. But I just now got finished, kind of composing my my next issue, and what and what I mean by that is laying it out roughing it out very detailed and I freaking love that part I love every aspect of it down to the lettering and the way that I choose to dole out all of these different disciplines I do it in such a way and I've been doing comics long enough to know when I think I'll start getting bored so I just like put on a different hat and uh become a different you know a different creative type or something like, so like, all right, the writer hat taking that off. It's time to start penciling. Uh, so I, it's an exercise that in a process that I've been building for, you know, 25 years of just keeping engaged and never allowing myself to get bored. And the way that I accomplish that is by just switching it up a bunch.
0: So, uh, you know, kind of curious, uh, I know, uh, uh, pre-orders of the first issue were, were, were pretty strong. Uh, You've said, you know, what, what is, what does success look like for you with this book? You know, is it being able to go past 12 issues and and, and keep telling more standalone stories? Is it, you know, uh, repackaging it down the line uh, you know, uh, in color for maximum gore or something like that?
2: (laughs) you know this is this is the toughest question for me to address like like everything you guys asked me up to this very very this very point, I had a very cogent answer or or maybe not cogent depending on who 's listening uh, but this question of satisfaction or what is success is like i'm I, I have no idea uh, i I really don't i, I don 't have a good answer for that i don't know what i 'm chasing uh, the 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 process. Is kind of everything to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Whenever we get off off the off this call, I have a fresh page staring me in my face that's going to need some ink thrown down on it, and I get to sit around, you know, at least eight hours a day, usually far more, in almost like a lotus position, Zen-like state, making comics and having fun. Uh, the pro- The process is incredible. Like I, I just mm-hmm. feel very grateful every day to be able to pursue this, uh, the ultimate goal. You know, I think, I think because it's so out of my hands, I don't think about it that much. I can't control that. I could control this page in front of my face, but I have no control of how this will be received, how um, successful it would be. All of this is up to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And by the time I guess the numbers come in or something, it's already my past. Like you said about that first issue of, uh, Red Room Issue One, pre orders real strong. Uh, there's a lot of copies that are out there. Um, it would it, that would be called a, a hit comic that is first issue. Certainly goosed up by the by the um Peach Momoko stuff, goosed up mm-hmm. by the Jim Rugg variant. Frankly goosed up by just talking about it on Cartoonist Cafe Fabe every freaking day. Uh, all these things helped make make it a hit. Um but how it's perceived, how it's looked at, have no idea, and mm-hmm. I, I I do confess that I, that I don't know what I'm chasing. All I can say is I'm having a real f- fun time sitting around making comic
0: pages. Yeah. Listen, it's all about the journey, man. That's it's, it's all good. <laughs> um, it it's uh you know in, in kind of reading up on, on on this book, there's there's a there's a little line that I saw that comics are the dominant form of entertainment in the Red Room universe. Yeah, totally. Uh, what are what are the smart people reading, or or, or what are sort of the uh, socially agreed upon best comics in uh, this world you've created? I'm I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> it's uh,
2: there's there's not like there there is a title of of one of one comic uh, in in the thing, but it's it's a general. It's a, the it's a general idea uh, that, that like, comics are the dominant form. And frankly, that comes from just to circle things back a little bit. That comes from my, my, my Stephen King uh, audio book, deep, deep Dive, where there's a novelist or a writer in every single one of his stories. And I'm like thinking, well, why don't we do that in comics a little bit? You know, like if, if you're supposed to write what you know, let's, uh, let's inject, you know, comics and cartoonists and, and stuff like that into the comics. So uh, like in this issue I'm working on right now, there's going to be a page where um, these these kids kind of stumble on, and this this is actually preying upon w- one of my fears from from when I was a kid. Uh, and when I was like 14, 15, 16, I used to paint graffiti. And we would practice in very uh, kind of isolated places. And I always had this fear that we would be in this isolated place painting graffiti. We would hear a little bit of like a scuffle and see like, mafia dudes kill a guy in front of us or something that was like some weird fear that was always in the back of my mind because we were just in the middle of nowhere in places where it would make logical sense to like hide a body so um there's a sequence in this issue where that's happening this couple's painting graffiti they hear a little scuffle they see a a a guy on his knees with a guy uh, with a gun over top of him and that guy with the gun is like what did you do with all my cgc books Like that's that's my retirement fund, and you know, chaos ensues after that. So so that's what I'm talking about. It's like the spirit, like like, uh, the the universe. Like movies are not the dominant form, video games are not the dominant form. Everybody's a comic fan. It's like Japan. It's like uh, you know, the 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 way you see salary men and stuff reading stuff on the train or whatever. Mm -hmm. Comics are everywhere.
1: So when, when I was doing my deep dive, I, I saw one thing you'd worked on. And I'm curious that, you know, there's that old saying about, you know, never meet your heroes, but you not only met, but you worked with Harvey Picar on Macedonia. What was that like?
2: It was, it was really cool, man. Harvey Picar brought me into the game. Uh, the, the, the first professional dollar I ever made in comics is because of, of Harvey Picar. And uh, Macedonia was a book that we did, but I, I did American Splendor stories, we did uh, Macedonia, and then another book called The Beats about the Beat Generation Jack Kerouac, Allen Ginsberg, William S. Burroughs. I did about 300 400 pages of material with Harvey that I kind of described it was like my comic book boot camp. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 21 to 23 while putting all that stuff together, uh, not ready. Not ready for prime time whatsoever. Learned a whole lot uh, during during that that period, and was able to take care of myself uh, financially. I can't I can't say anything good about the work, but he gave me the opportunity. I'm forever thankful for that man. And you know, up to this point, and this is perfect kind of cartoonist kayfabe uh, ideology or whatever you want to call it, ethos, culture, whatever. Um, I've, I've done three collaborations in my professional life in, in, in comics. Uh, I drew comics for Harvey P. Carr. Uh, there was another uh, kind of underground comics legend named Jay Lynch who did this series called Nard and Pat, which was one of his more f- popular things, but he designed a lot of uh, wacky packages and Garbage Pail Kids and things uh, mm-hmm. late in later years, did a lot of work for Tops, And then the third guy who I collaborated with was Rob Liefeld, inking that one page of uh, his, his Snake Eyes book. Mm-hmm. So, so there's my three professional collaborations to date. But Harv was awesome. Like he... I, I spoke to him every single day for about three or four years. Um, he gave me the seed money to, to produce my first uh, comics on my own. Um, I, I did my first uh, panels and public speaking stuff with him. So he, he schooled me as real senpai kohai kind of relationship.
0: <laughs> uh, you know, we, 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 we've talked a lot about, you know, kind of, your, your, your love of, of outlaw comics and, and, you know, but also at the same time, how, you know, you're, you're, you're working in the industry that you've inherited. Uh, you know, I, I am curious uh, a little bit now that it's, it's in your, your rear view uh, for, by a couple of years, you know, it, it, working on on grand design for for Marvel, you know how was that that experience of kind of working in in corporate comics? you know was that was that a plus plus wood cartoon again or
2: uh, it was like so before that I did hip hop family tree. yeah, and it had uh, lots of popularity in places other than the the direct market per se. Probably did okay in comic shops, but it had a big life like outside of the direct market. Mm-hmm. even back then red room was a thought in my mind and red room was a weird ass comic uh i it cracks me up that so many of issue one have been printed up it, i'm hysterical about it because it actually kind of proves some some thoughts that i had man about just like the antiseptic comics that are out there and stuff like this uh i needed to shake hands with the direct market a little bit with a comic shop retailers man who might not have known my name because they don't mess with fantagraphics comics or something.
0: Mm
2: -hmm. And that's, that's where X-Men grand design fits into my career. Like I'm going to do this thing. I'm not going to give Marvel uh, anything fresh. Like I'm not going to design something new. I'm not going to create a new cool storyline that they can exploit and give me no rewards for you. They could kiss my ass with that shit so when they asked like hey do you want to do something like um i basically was had no idea what to do and then i'm like well this will be my one shot and i i, I just want to draw all the cool x-men shit that uh that i always loved man so i get to draw a couple of pages of Sabretooth, get to draw mr sinister a little bit and uh you know that was that was that man that that sold well and uh i think it opened up the direct market to to my future works a little bit uh cartoonist k fits into this this um this idea as well man for helping to sell red room in a way that was kind of the germ because it's such a weird comic and the and the culture just isn't this way like i don't expect it to be very receptive but we'll see you know like I put the blast out every day. We put videos out every day. We we shout about it every day. I sh- I stream, uh, as much as possible. So uh, there's a bunch of people that check it out that way. You know, we're sitting here talking. Uh, so, so, you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens.
0: Um, at, you know, at the, at the same time, uh, you know, how with retailers, you know, how how are you kind of, uh, pitching this because you know again we've talked about like antiseptic and you know stuff like that you know you out there out here you've got this book that you're passionate about uh you know that's a lot different from from obviously other stuff that's it's it's sharing uh rack space with you know what you're you know are are you kind of talking to retailers directly to to get them to to carry it
2: not not so much but uh there there are the beauty of being in the game for a little while and certainly thanks to the kayfabe channel mm-hmm. uh started to develop way more relationships with certain retailers but these retailers are very very hip retailers and they love comics they love the business of it their function is to sell comics so they're doing mm-hmm. everything they can to keep this this game going uh those people they're you know they're incredible. Like. There are uh, the other kind of comic shop. That's the comic shop that's in the strip mall, that uh, perhaps you know has has only been getting comics out of the the Diamond catalog for thirty years or whatnot, and they they don't look outwardly whatsoever. You know, there's a credible st- like years ago I was uh, on the um, on a panel to decide the nominees for the best comic shop uh, for the Eisner award. Okay. Mm -hmm. And one of my criteria at that time was like, I got to see at least one or two books that had like a Kickstarter life or that is kind of um, self published outside of the diamond system distribution system, because that, Mm -hmm. that just, if you're going to be the best comic shop, you can't just, you gotta, you gotta put in some effort. And the Diamond Catalog, there's no effort there. Mm -hmm. So so, uh, we have put out the word, uh, you know, in Diamond even, uh, that we're promoting this thing heavy, you know? Like I get uh, at least a half a million people come through uh, Cartoonist Kayfabe every 28 days. Uh, And that's a half a million different people, like not just views or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, give me 1% of that. give me 1% of that. I'll be happy. Why not? And, and uh, you know, and that's a tool that maybe the average cartoonist doesn't have to to Mm -hmm. promote their stuff. So I'm saying, take a shot. Uh, I'm going to bang the drum. I have no apologies about that. I'm not shy about that. We're sitting here talking comics, you know, right here, have no problem banging the drum. So I'm at least going to put that good foot forward and try to help you sell those damn books.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, so, uh, did get a Twitter question here, uh, friend of the show, Rob Secundus, uh, asks, uh, uh, Ed, uh, he says, uh, Ed occupies a very unique space in the industry. And I'm wondering, given that perspective, uh, what young voices in comics he believes to be, uh, deserve, uh, believes to deserve greater attention or a larger platform. Uh, in particular, are there any creators he sees engaging with hip hop and comics that we should be, be paying greater attention to?
2: Man, this goes to show I've been in the game in the game for a minute because I re- I remember reading these these interviews with with like my cartooning heroes and, and junk and, and 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 this similar question would be asked mm-hmm. and like you know the Hernandez brothers are like I am not really looking at what's on the rack right now or something mm-hmm. like that and in some way uh, that's that's my answer as well but it's just a function of. Uh, i don't want to be corrupted by uh by what i see in terms of influence uh i think that it's it's my process to 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 stand out by not seeing what everybody else is doing like you know i i see a a white noise version of things but uh you know what actually i i named a name comes to mind. A couple of names come to mind right now, actually, whose comics I do like, who's kind of new on the game. Matt Lesniewski is one of the best inkslingers I've seen enter comics in in, in years and years, man. He did a comic called The Freak for uh, Ad House, okay. and, uh, and Matt Kent discovered him and is putting him to use on some dark horse things and stuff, but, like, when Matt, when uh, Lesniewski is kind of cooking and doing his own stuff, like, um, amazing you know and I want to say guys like uh, James Stokey and stuff but he's been around a while he's not exactly a you know a young voice or whatever um, so I don't have too great an answer for that actually
0: that's all right um you know let, let's uh, actually <clears throat> excuse me let's let's go with with the flip of that uh you know uh we've talked about cartoonist kayfabe, uh, you know, plenty on the show, but you know, what are some of the books that uh, uh, that you've covered recently on that, that you've been kind of most excited to talk about with Jim?
2: Uh, we, we just did an episode on monsters, Barry Windsor Smith.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: What a, what a comic, like at the very top of the, that, that show, I I said it, man, I said, uh, you know, comics like this just don't grow on trees. Mm-hmm. 35 years in the making uh, incredible penmanship, classic, perfect illustration in terms of like following all the kind of rules that, that are set up as, you know, that the great illustrators have established in terms of composition and just academic drawing. And then the comic reads great. Uh, it's a hopeful thing, you know, like Barry winter smith how long has he been in the game? 50 years? 45 years?
0: About that, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, 1969, I think, was the X-Men comic. So, you know, I, my math is fuzzy. Uh, that's a hopeful statement that you could make your one of your greatest comics 50 years into a career. Mm-hmm. Um, some other stuff Jimmy and I were talking about uh, that, that was pretty cool. We did the Galactus Trilogy, Kirby. Um, we did uh, the, the guest star issues of Spawn that, that are fun, you know, like for, for people of, of my peer group, these would be the first Alan Moore comics that we read, the first mm-hmm. Frank Miller comics that we read. A little gray aardvark named Cerebus, never heard of that man until I read Spawn number 10.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I could go on and on though, man, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a ton of comics that we've been covering that, I, I mean, basically everything. Mm-hmm. You know, like what, what the channel, what the channel is, is just me and Jimmy choosing a couple of comics a week, knowing that we're going to have a fun conversation the following week, you know, about the things.
0: Mm-hmm. So uh, there's going to be a Red Room free comic book day issue. Uh, free comic book day in August this year, uh, because time's not disorienting enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but uh is that issue is that going to be an original story is that going to be uh you know material from the series itself do you know it's,
2: yes i do know uh it is uh, a completely original comic it's going to be the se- second longest in in terms of length uh mm-hmm. of of all the red rooms uh, the first issue is uh 62 pages of comics total so, mm-hmm. you know 64 page book uh this one's going to be 33 pages of all new material and there are five stories in here uh, they they all are self-contained, but they tie into other issues. So we knew that this free comic book day comic was, was going to happen. Like, Fantagraphics mm-hmm. has been very good uh, with me about that stuff because they know I'm going to do my best to make something original rather than just piecemeal, you know, existing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, we didn't know that it was going to be in August. We thought it was still going to be May, right? And which is why Red Room Issue 1 is coming out because the idea was like, all right, man, we'll put out Issue 1 and the Free Comic Book Day the same week and try to, you know, see what see what that does. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like I said, five stories in each issue and each story ties in with it, one of the four issues of the first season. So the first story ties in with the first, you know, issue. Second story ties in with the second issue, y- yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it was drawn after I drew about five issues. So it's like the strongest comic I've drawn so far and, until until I get this one in front of me uh, finished. Because you know how that goes, man. The cliche, like the new work is always the best.
0: Sure. Ah, that's good though. That's value. Uh... <laughs> There's
2: going to be a... Uh, I, one, one of the things that I tasked myself with, and I think it might have even been imposed. I, I don't remember... But I, I want this to be a wide release. Like this is a, a free comic with a comic is an amazing business card. So uh, I'm not bearing the lead that the, the um, series is hardcore as hell, you know, and has like a lot of crazy shit. But I dial it back to just try to tell like good tongue in cheek horror comics that, that won't get a shop busted by the feds for obscenity or something, right? So anybody mm-hmm. can really mess with this. And the very last story in that issue is uh, is full color and it's like a kid's comic. Uh, it, it, when I was sharing some pages, like some panels and stuff, everybody said the same thing. Like, dude, you're not like killing kids or you or anything like that. And I'm not like, I I, I think I've, I'm on the record saying that there just will be none, none of that stuff. Cause I like, I just don't want to draw that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I can't wait for people to see that story. I think it's one of the best comic stories I ever made. And it's going to cost you uh, the sum total of $0 and 0 cents.
0: All right. And it's for the children. Now, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, What where, where are you reading right now that, that, that isn't for kayfabe, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just for Ed.
2: Lots of manga. Got the, got, uh, Taiyo Matsumoto's, um, Ping Pong over there uh, to the left of me. What, what else do I have right here, man? I have a Rory Hayes collection of all of his childhood works. Uh, what else do I have? Uh, Jamie Hewlett comics, uh, looking at the max right now, not for kayfabe purposes, but I've been really enchanted by weird page layouts lately. Uh, stuff that's not abiding by the grid or you know just the, the rectangle. Uh, the rigid constraints of the 10 by 15 image area and just seeing how different guys tackle that stuff so that I could try to make the, the kind of most dynamic pages possible.
0: All right. Well, uh, Ed, it's been great. It's been an hour. Uh, final question. Uh, how can people uh, follow you online and keep up with all this stuff?
2: Uh, just, just Google my name. Uh, but it's you know Ed Piskor on Instagram. I think there's probably an underscore, but just Google my name in Instagram. Google my name Twitter. Cartoonist Kfab is the YouTube channel. Red Room is the comic. Uh, you you're gonna find me real real easy online, and uh, you know subscribe to the YouTube because those live streams pop up, and it's there's a real awesome community that's that's built up around that. A lot of makers uh, in in the chats and stuff, and it's it's kind of our way, certainly under like the weird lockdown conditions. Mm-hmm. To just uh, f- feel like you're, you're hanging out with, with, with friends and drawing and stuff like that. So easy to find. Uh, thank you guys very much for taking the time to sit down and chat with me. Appreciate it a whole lot.
0: Absolutely. Thank, and thank you. you for doing the show.
2: Super cool. Thank you, guys.
0: That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of ComicsXF meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, and Chris's on Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to wmq and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support wmq a at patreon.com slash wmqcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column, written by Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the ComicsXF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundes from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that one-time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. WMQA!